Hey listeners, uh, I know a lot of you are not familiar with our high voltage playlist that we recently launched and continue to update every month on our Spotify uh, based on the fact that music is a, a very much a fundamental column that holds up a lot of the creative types I speak to on this show. I think it'll bring a lot of good vibes into anyone who enjoys uh, Synthwave. If not, that's cool. Um, but if you're into any of its other related electronical musical genres and, and such, I think it will hit even harder. Uh, go to Spotify, search uh, High Voltage. should pop right up. Uh, thanks for continuing to consume our content and enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Mono Neon Show, it's Max here, and I'm with Nick McKnight, a multimedia artist and neon artist as well from uh, in New London, Connecticut. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, originally from Rhode Island, uh, definitely a very varied uh, kind of background. Uh, currently, in, you know, uh, was an artist in residence, sculpture, painting, printmaking, neon bending, um, primarily self-taught as well, incorporating all kinds of specifics like text-based work. Uh, everything that you you know is uh, is really handcrafted by uh, yourself and really showing off the love of light and glass and all that good stuff. Uh, where where do you pick up your you know this this gift, if you will, for just wanting to go after light and uh, neon? Uh, well, I've always wanted to, you know, work with it, but um, as you're probably aware, and probably your listeners, it's incredibly hard. It used to be incredibly hard to, as an industry, to kind of get into. Um, but so, I would all just keep pestering people to try to let me in, and uh, um, I ended up working for a guy in Connecticut and for a while, and in sign companies, and I started bending, and just teaching myself i uh, took a class in new york and then i just practice 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 um as it goes and uh but i wanted to keep going with it i love the craft i wanted to pursue artwork as well um that's a big part of it but i wanted to be involved in the craft um with it to truly understand the glass and the bending and the light and and every aspect of what goes into it um, I really respect it and I respect the vendors that came before and how incredibly damn difficult it is to do. And so learning as I go every day forever. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. You're currently in uh, mass. Is that right? No, I am. Yeah. I work at Neon Williams. I'm a vendor there in uh, Somerville. Mm -hmm. And for people that don't know, I mean, I give a lot of information off about the show uh, Neon Williams is actually the first place I was exposed to Neon. So being a young sort of uh, college, uh, you know, sort of figuring things out as they will, uh, a young student just sort of walling himself into Neon, walked into Neon Williams, this is like 2003, uh, and really kind of not giving it a lot of thought, just thought, this looks really cool. Let me see what this is all about. The two brothers uh, really connected to the business, uh, you know, now was recently bought out but still exists as one of the lone neon shops in boston doing some incredible work and you've really picked up in that area as well i mean you guys are coming on strong done us some incredible work on the greenway recently 
are there certain projects that seem kind of unreal to you now that you've kind of been self-taught, but now part of this strong history of sort of Northeastern neon? Yeah, I've been incredibly lucky to have been involved with this, the history of neon Williams and the neon in Boston, New England. Um, and we're just hitting the ground running. Um, Dave and Lynn Waller recently, bought, uh, in the past year and a half, I think, bought uh, bought Neon Williams from the brothers, and we've been doing some crazy, incredible projects um, here and there, and uh, through artists and companies and uh, sign, you know, the normal sign companies, and um, going full force, and it's it's been a, cr- a crazy ride. Yeah, I mean, the history goes back to 1934. I mean, this is in the midst of Great Depression, so you've got uh, a lot going on. You have, in 1946, there's a guy named Charlie Williams. I didn't even know all this information, but he was working at Jack Freeman Sign Supply in South Boston. What's really cool is that he was working in shipping. Now, these two guys, they were really, uh, when I walked in, they really had everything down to a science. They really wouldn't let you in the back. You kind of traditionally had to walk into this like sort of sales uh, room. It was nothing more than a 10 by 10 foot square with some carping laid down against some metal sheet walling and a few things here and there. Um, but on their breaks, they would quickly kind of learn that I knew I wanted to do this a little bit more long-term than just say, let's throw something up on the wall. Uh, and really kind of brought me in, gave me a, uh, kind of a glimpse into how things are getting repaired, what was going on, but they had a reputation for secrecy as well. So uh, they found themselves, you know, you can look at the Sitco sign, uh, working on that. Traditionally speaking, that's a very important landmark for all of Boston, whether you like it or not, what it stands for. Um, so these are jobs that, uh, you know, Charlie again, setting up for something new, um, a shop in Cambridge was, was employed by another glass bender. And uh, they really snuck a peek at Charlie's, you know, paycheck and promptly resigned in protest. So leaving Charlie and Mary, they sold the business in 68. And then Charlie renamed it CM Williams and Sons and offered his oldest son, Steve, a job when he was discharged from the Navy. So uh, it's really a family business as of, I mean, certain shops may or may not have been, but they operated very closely to that, uh, to that cuff. And, and when, you know, the father and son routine, uh, kind of quickly built up steam. Uh, the wife got involved, Grace. Uh, she was the business manager. I dealt with her directly, really incredible people. Um, and so it's neat to see the economy sort of changing tastes and what's going on technology-wise, but also saving this uh, incredible sign shop. So, um, so yeah, Dave out there doing a lot of work and also being consistent with what he loves to do, which is collect neon, has now preserved this neon shop. How, were you able, you know, did you get contacted or what was that transition for you? Because a lot of artists come up and say, you know, how do you get these opportunities? What do you do? How did you put yourself in a place to be able to kind of quickly get attached to something like that? Uh, well, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I was actually listening to your podcast and with Dave Waller, uh, my boss, and he the day after he emailed me and asked if I wanted to come up and talk to them um, because Dana, one of the brothers had to retire. And um, so they were looking for somebody and he emailed me. I came up and I ultimately ended up working for them, but um, 
he got my name from um, Light Bright Neon, Matt Dilling up there. Um, I I personally have never met Matt, but I interviewed with their company in New York, and I I just it was a tight time frame for me. I couldn't move over um, to New York, but um, Dave was looking for somebody. He's he's known Matt for years. Uh, the Neon community is very small, so he he was like, "Hey, do you know anybody?" He's like, "Yeah, actually, this guy in New England, uh, contact him." So bam bam and that's how we met and that's how i ended up moving up to boston that's a great story in, in all of that you know even within your own work are you able to kind of pres- incorporate what you're doing or what you've learned along the way because you know a lot of interesting things have developed since that time period um is life still for you all about art and being able to do the commercial work at the same time how do you how do you uh, maintain that work-life balance uh, well, I work, I work full-time. I'm fortunate to have been full-time. And um, outside of that, I do. Um, my, my life is always art. I can't get away from it, nor do I, do I want to. But, um, but um, I do painting and printmaking outside of it. But more and more, is it, my work has been is always text-based, so it always lends itself to be easily made into neon. And I always want to make more and more of my work with glass. And... Um, but it continues to, to be easily made with, with glass. I just keep, keep bending and keep making work. Um, I like to, your stuff is tongue in cheek too. You know, you've got like this one of the phrases, like, I like your tongue in cheek work. Like one of the things you've created with words, just to kind of throw this out there is this goes well with, this goes with my decor, (laughs) which is like people with neon, (laughs) you know? I think we've gotten yeah. to a place, you know, where neon just has these catchy catchphrases, and I think it pisses a lot of artists off, you know, that kind of like. Uh, it, oh, you know. absolutely. <laughs> it, yeah, it makes a lot of my work is like that. Um, so some of it's very um, in your face and 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 here now, and it's or it's poetic, but a lot of it also is poking fun of that, a the art world, and but also b the 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 saturation of the neon market and the and the the household neon that's like here's this quirky phrase like live love laugh or what or the other million that you know of uh, but just making it into this decor whether it's neon or led or whatever but um yeah so a lot of my work is like that it's a this goes with my decor is strictly just that it's face value uh humor just like i have another piece that says um it's a painting but it goes along with that um these two i have a diptych and it's a a black painting with black text that says another black painting and then another one next to it says another white painting um another one that's a neon that says dying art because all i get as a bender uh, when somebody asks me what i do and i'm sure everybody else too is oh their response is generally the exact same thing is oh that's a dying art (laughs) And I'm like, well, not exactly. And I have to explain to them that it's, you know, it's coming around and it comes in waves and it's, so it, that, that piece kind of came from that, but uh, bring a lot of humor to, to the work too. And I like that there's a certain amount of, you know, I, especially I think of some other artists out there, there's been quite a few of them that made uh, their, their, you know, their words, their bread and butter um, for better or for worse, but it, it helps 
I think, uh, you know, just gives people something to hold on to. I think certain people struggle with that idea. Like you said, the whole kind of, this is another black painting, like is a brick on a floor art is something hanging from the ceiling. That's, you know, I mean, it's subjective, right? At the end of the day, but, uh, a lot of people struggle with that to kind of get past the conceptualized nature of art. We kind of deal with it in a compartmental way. And some people struggle because they don't have the language to really deal with it, nor do they have the history that goes behind it. So yeah, you get these glimpses of, um, boy, I haven't seen that in a long time must be dying because I haven't seen it around or, <laughs> you know, um, my dad used to have one of those, you know, in the fifties, they still make that. And you're like, yeah, they, they do. They're, you know, they're everywhere. They just have to kind of, kind of reframe what they know is, is available to them. You know, in a way they kind of think about neon as kind of this history piece where, you know, it, it, it did keep, it did start, you know, in, in the teens, but it, it kept going. It has a history, you know, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I just kind of kept rambling there for a minute, but I think yeah, no, I, I know. always all I do is ramble. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, a lot of a lot of my work is I don't try to dig too deep into it, and I try to I with especially neon, I, um, I try to get away from signage, making it seem like signage, but at the same time paying homage to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that that yeah that's where it comes from and but this is what we can do with it um as language you can you can bend anything you want you can make abstract forms or or anything or uh imagery but uh with my work specifically and other artists they you know also using text um you have to kind of pay homage to the fact that it comes from signage specifically Mm-hmm. Not to run to run away from it, but to kind of roll with it, I think is kind of what I'm hearing is I do appreciate like, you know, um, kind of taking a piss out of it, you know, I mean, just looking at it and saying, well, fuck, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's glass, like it is words, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hide all the wires, and I'm not gonna do this song and dance where it's like, it's not bright. Yes, it is bright. It is light. I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> those things. Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I like to show my work in a gallery setting and I would, um, and I, people would ask where I'm going to put the uh, power supply. I'm like, well, on the floor because on the floor, yeah, <laughs> you know, shocker, it weighs like, you know, not very much. But, <laughs> right. Yeah, not much. It's fine. Yeah. And, well, people, yeah, exactly. I mean, up until recently, they've only really kind of become aware. And I think that's just um, awareness on the industry, but also just, artist's ability to be able to translate what they're speaking of into terms that people can really understand like this is why it's there this is what we need this for this is why you can't just put it on the ceiling willy-nilly you know that type of stuff um so i think it's on to artists and, and neon makers to kind of do their part to help fill in the blanks because you know most people don't generally know what's going on when it comes to neon so yeah there's a, there's a lot that we have to explain to designers and and business owners and uh, and artists that that want to use the neon in their pieces or whatever space they're using it in about the limitations or or the responsibilities. I mean, sometimes they put it in a storefront. And they're like, "Oh, I can't believe I've got to do this!" And oh, God, you got to come out and service the the transformer. You told me it lasts forever. I mean, these sorts of things. I think every artist can or every sign maker can can relate to that. You know. Yeah, but and and that's the that's part of. There are so, there are limitations and there are a little bit of frustrations with it, but there are unlimited potential with it. Is is more pros than cons when it comes to neon. 
Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the uh, the combination of you, you find yourself in the shop at times, mostly nowadays, because things are picking up. I mean, obviously, we have a pandemic on our hands. Um, things really aren't where they should be. And you can probably say that about any part of the world. But, uh, you know, have you been dealing with it just working in isolation? Do you have access to fires? Like, how's that been going? Yeah, uh, well, we're technically we're close to the public ourselves, um, but we we have some ongoing projects that we're finishing up. Um, some major, um, uh, like a, a few business related projects that were ongoing and also have have started, and some we're finishing up. So we're we're keeping busy. We're just kind of um, keeping our distance from each other and our customers. So. Mm-hmm. And, and within like your own work, uh, you know, have you, are you got any projects that you recently been working on? Are you sticking with the framework of, you know, uh, written word at this moment in time? Cause you have such a varied, you know, you have a printmaking, you have all that going on. Can you bring your printmaking expertise into making neon? Like do you take, are you able to take photos or is that direction that you kind of go in? Well, what was that last part? Uh, within like the, you know, you're thinking about printmaking. I think people, artists can make, uh, prints you might not be able to move neon around as easily i was thinking that do you does your printmaking resonate inside of the kind of the framework of written words for your neon are you able to kind of uh, use that as an offshoot of what you normally do like take photos of your neon work does that end up in your printmaking experiments or do you ever kind of work on that level at all or does it mostly just strictly like neon art as by itself um, so far it's been strictly neon by itself. Um, I haven't had any, I don't really have a- access anymore to, to any, um, printmaking, um, like photo litho or anything, any kind of facilities, but, um, or, or even, I haven't even made any prints of any of my work yet. So I'm, I'm just basically working on, um, as far as print, the process of printmaking goes, I'm mainly being aware by the parallels of, how, how it's made and how we bend. But uh, I'm focusing on making, just making more work, just turning it out. I, I, I have a, I wouldn't say maybe not a problem, but I have um, a habit of just going for it instead of thinking things through. So I just go, oh, I'm going to make that um, and not worrying why it will fit into my work or not. <laughs> and it's always been a long standing problem, but our habit, uh, But I just keep making work, and I think that's kind of nice. That's kind of what you have to do, and then edit from there. Yeah, I don't think there's anything dangerous about that. I think it's only bad if you don't know why it's happening. I think the cool part about that is sort of yeah. If you don't reflect afterwards, I guess I guess it would be bad. Yeah, Um, but it's good to just keep working, pushing through. I mean, your response. Your I mean, my response I get from your work is that you're willing to go places. I especially like. And it's not neon, but I still think it's worth talking about is the the written, you know, the sculpture that you lighted on fire and it talks about like whatever the written word was, but it kind of goes along with this idea of an experience. I really enjoy, you know, uh, setting it against like a live backdrop or like architectural interventions like curves and, and arches and pathways in a space. You know, you, you typically, it seems like you're not too worried about how all that's going to shake down. You just kind of get out there put it in put it up you know see how it works and keep going yeah no i i like the idea of doing doing um uh, site specific installations i would like to do more of that um 
but I'm not really worried. I was worried about the fire um, aspect of it at first. Uh, I wanted to do it in a little too public of an area and set it on fire, but I was told that was probably a bad idea, uh, <laughs> permitting wise. <laughs> but, um, so I, I chose a secluded area in, in the woods and I set my piece on fire. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd like to do, I'd love to do more of that. And the another piece I did, it was not neon, but it was a t- large poem text piece. Last February, I went to a beach in New London and I set it up by myself. And it was very cold, but it was uh, it was worthwhile. I got a nice photo out of it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I'd love to see a video of that too. I don't know if that exists or not, but uh, you know, just seeing that experience. Because you know, online is getting to be a, a very important place, especially now with the sort of self-isolation, you know, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the sen- you know, kind of the sentiment that I'm getting from people is that, you know, Hey, we're indoors. How can we do better at, you know, reaching out? And, uh, I think, I think Instagram is filled with vo- social media has done a good job filling the void. I still think there's a lot more that could be done, but I think, uh, you know, the surprise nature of being able to go to not be able to experience it, but just to be able to viewing it is I think is exciting for, a lot of reasons, you know, I mean, the difficulty of making neon, that could be a, another video or whatever. I mean, there's a million ways to, to slice and dice it. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it's a, it's a good role, or important role that artists can play in the time like this to show the process. Um, a to, a to um, help alleviate some boredom of a lot of people, but also to, uh, to show them, show the community what uh what goes into that process what albeit neon neon or not you know um having to show them what really goes into the art making process is very important and you've you've done a lot of uh like i said different different ideas too so it'd be uh kind of a fun way to go about doing is just to get more uh, access to you and your work too and you've got a lot of really cool stuff already up on there so um, what's next? Are you, you know, looking at this thing kind of saying, Hey, we're going to get back in there and keep making new signage, keep making new phrases. And you know, how do you, uh, have you thought about your next, uh, artwork coming up or anything that you want our listeners to know? Uh, well, I have a, unfortunately because of the pandemic, I have, I have a solo show, um, in Connecticut at the Kerry gallery in Willimantic, Connecticut, and it's been, it's supposed to be April through May. Um, they might be extending it through the summer, depending on what's going to happen. Um, but nobody's seen it in person. We haven't had an opening reception yet. So we're, someday we'll, we'll have that. <laughs> but um, I'm working on some, some short poem pieces right now, and I'm looking to do some, uh, some public art pieces up here in New England, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And also too, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, work all about you know, on your website too. Um, people can check you out online. You've got your website as well, which has a, a pretty, pretty good amount of information on there too. So if people want to, uh, reach out to you, uh, as far as, uh, work that you're doing now, is it isolated to what you just normally do or, uh, is it commissions at all that you take on or just mostly what you're doing now personal wise that's interesting? Uh, well, on uh, my website, it's, it's generally just a uh, personal work that I put on there. I do need to update it a little bit more, but uh, mostly my, I'm a little bit more active with the Instagram on, on ongoing projects. 
yeah, Nick, uh, Nick underscore McKnight, if anybody wants to check it out. Um, it's up there. I highly recommend it as well. Um, yeah, uh, Nick, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, all the best out there in Boston. You guys are doing some great work and I appreciate all you do, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Hey guys, Mononium would like to give a shout out to people who have left reviews, which helps give context as to why this is a worthwhile podcast. Uh, I think the cosine is a very big deal. And so here's a, a favorite review that we want to highlight from a robot voice generator. Today's review titled High Craft Information Ribbon by NATR Boy says Neon Glass Blowing is craft blended with science, practiced by committed tradespeople willing to dedicate themselves to burnt hands, cut fingertips, and tired legs. Hearing firsthand the diverse experience of other two benders will help the public gain awareness of this unique skill and provide valuable insight to the next generation of fearless neon makers. Great work, Mondo Neon. Thanks for writing in and keep leaving reviews cause yours could be next.